My guest today is J.M. Ryerson. J.M. is a mindset and performance coach that provides top-level virtual and in-person coaching on mindset, performance, leadership, business, team building, and career development. He believes in a work-life balance, providing athletes, teams, sales executives, and individuals the tools that lead to success at work, at home, and in life. You and your team will gain skills, tools, strategies, and practices that can be used for many years to come. Let's go win together. In 2020, J.M. Ryerson wrote a book called Let's Go Win, The Keys to Living Your Best Life. In 2021, J.M. wrote Champion's Daily Playbook, Let's Go Win. In the conversation J.M. and I had, as always, we went back to his earlier childhood and came forward to today to figure out exactly who JM is. It was a really joyful conversation that we had, and I hope you learn a lot from this discussion with JM Ryerson. everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Once again, I'm so honored that you're listening to the podcast. Today, I have a special guest. His name is J.M. Ryerson, and I'm very excited to speak with him about all that he does in the field of mindset and coaching and various other things and his books. We're going to get to it all. So, J.M., welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to talk with you. I have a bunch of sort of casual questions to ask up front. You have your own podcast and and I was able to listen to a couple episodes in preparation of this and the intro to your podcast was awesome. Is that you in your in your uh, radio voice? No, I wish I could do that. No, that was it's not me. <laughs> um, that is a gentleman with a very deep voice and he I don't know where they found him but I, I thought he did a pretty nice job. It is, it is so cool. When I heard that, I was like, wow, that's amazing. He can actually change his voice that much to do those intros. It's like, I'm jealous about it. It was really cool. And it was funny because I happened to listen to the one where it's you and your wife, and she actually said that you have a really great radio voice, which, which you do, but she didn't say too much about you being on TV. So uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> you, know, you know, Joe, I took that the same way you did. I'm okay. Like, take that as a compliment, I guess. <laughs> right. Okay, good. I was wondering. I just wanted to make sure. Um, so I have an, uh, another sort of personal casual question. How tall are you? I'm 6'5". Man, in the pictures, and uh, you're, you're obviously, you know, your kids are in it and then your wife, but it feels like you're towering two feet over everybody. Well, being that my wife is 5'2", and maybe I, mean, <laughs> okay. I, I wish she was 5'3 when I married her, but regardless, <laughs> you know, she's, she's a smaller Asian gal, and I'm a tall white dude, so it just kind of, yeah. she always jokes, if you see the family photo of, of her side, one of these doesn't belong to the other, because I do stand out pretty yes. significantly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh my gosh, how tall is this guy? Um, okay. I would like to go back to the beginning as far back as you want to go, because I like setting the stage for people that might not know you yet. I like to give them a foundation of who we're speaking to and how you got to do what you're doing today. And I think it's important because even the work that you do, it's helped for those people to say, okay, what was the transformation from whatever he started doing to where he landed today. Cause I think that's helpful for the listeners. Most of my listeners, I, I think are really startups, entrepreneurs, people that are, they're trying to figure out what their passion, their bliss, their purpose on, on the earth is. And so it's nice to hear how people land where they are and what took place before that. Sure. I mean, if we're talking professionally, I, I, uh, once I graduated college, I, moved right to California, which is, I'm a kid from Montana that I never thought I would leave Montana. I love Montana, but somehow I landed in California, went to work. I went to work for a great company, but uh, it wasn't, corporate America wasn't my gig. And I kind of knew that, eh, I guess it took me three and a half years, but I got a lot of great experience. And so I was looking to do something else. And I was very fortunate. I, I met who ended up being my business partner for many years, almost 15 years. 
And I didn't know it at the time, but just I jumped into uh, financial services. And I, after one year, decided to start a company with the gentleman that had hired me. And we had an amazing run. We built three companies together. And I just kind of became entrepreneur is what I enjoyed. Well, along the way, I made a ton of mistakes. And I made all the mistakes that I didn't want my kids to make. And so I finally decided, you know, there's something here that I should probably I want to write a book about. And it's not about me. It was more about the authors I had read, my parents, my grandparents, the mentors I had had. And so I literally decided, you know what, let's write this book. And so I went through this process of writing. And the gal working with me at the time said, I didn't think of you as a selfish person. I said, I didn't think I was selfish either. What are you talking about? She said, if you share this book with only two human beings, so my two boys, Tristan and Trayton, if you share it with only these two human beings, you're selfish. Okay, lesson learned, won't do that. So it just kind of started on the path of, you know, let's let's talk about what Let's Go Win is all about. And that went into the company, which went into a podcast, which dove into more coaching. And so I don't know that I planned it all out this way. It just kind of happened. And I'm so blessed that it did because I get fulfilled every single day. And I guess the last thing I'd say too is let's go win. The whole idea is not wins and losses. It's quite literally setting you up to win, but that doesn't guarantee success. That means that, look, we're going to do our very best to put our best foot forward, but that doesn't mean we're going to win. That, that means we could fail on our, I fail every single day. I'm great at it. I'm a great failer. I fail all the time. So am I. So am I. There you go. So, and so that's, but the whole idea is to set people up for the greatest you know, so that they can succeed. And so that was the whole idea of the book. And it's just been kind of a whirlwind, but it's been beautiful. I've met so many amazing people. I work with so many great people. So it's just been awesome. And, and I've loved the journey. So I want to go back even further because I feel that, again, I'm going to, I'm going to reference your size that I have a feeling you were in sports. And I also read a small clip somewhere about how you were and like I am, and like many entrepreneurs and people that have that A type personality or whatever, that we're really hard on ourselves. So I have a feeling that you were really good in sports, you were super competitive, and you were super hard on yourself at an early age. And so the, the piece that I read was you sort of giving yourself grace as you got older saying, I need to, I need to lighten up on myself, I need to lighten up on my family, I need to lighten up on the people around me. And, and so I want to hear more about what that was like. Again, I'm making this assumption. I assume that you were athletic at a young age. So can you tell me more about that and how that had that transformed to where you are today? Yeah, it's a fair assumption. And if you were to ask my parents, neither of which were super athletic, my, my mom, she doesn't have a competitive bone in her body. My dad did play some athletics, but kind of threw his shoulder out early. So he, they were never pushing myself or my brother or my sister. And all of us were very, very athletic, very competitive. My sister swam in college, I played basketball. So that was something that we always did. But growing up, we played every sport. I mean, <laughs> I played basketball, football, baseball, swimming, soccer. I mean, you name a sport, if it had a ball, I probably was chasing it or <laughs> doing something. But to your point on being hard on myself, there was a moment I was 10 or 12, I can't remember. And I was going for the state record for swimming and I not one state record, I was going for eight, which I think at the time, no one had ever broken more than five. And for whatever reason, I just got it in my head, I'm going to break eight state records, I can do it. I, I see the races, I can do this. So much so that at the point that I was getting out after the sixth record I broke, I couldn't move. I, and, and imagine my dad is watching this kid get out of the pool. He can't walk because he is so physically exhausted and dehydrated. And my dad said, why are you doing this? Please stop. And I told my dad, I I'm doing it because I can. And so it was always interesting. My folks never pushed me that way. They've just loved, they, they, they just, you know, supported as best they could and said, you know, whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. But I was, I was always hard on myself. I always wanted to perform at my very best, whether I did or I didn't. And so I, the grace part of it, I don't think the competitive drive has gone away. What I've, what I've really learned is 
I guess it would be growth mindset versus fixed. It's like, look, I, I I'm going to compete. I'm going to give my very best, but that's where it ends. That's it. You know, I'm not going to judge myself harshly. The only way I would judge myself harshly is if I didn't put my best foot forward, if I didn't play completely full out. And I will say, looking back, uh, I always did. I always gave 100% effort, but I was hard on myself if I didn't succeed. Now, if I give 100%, even win, lose, or draw, it doesn't matter to me. I can rest on my laurels knowing I gave everything that I had to give in that moment, and it's okay. And so I guess that has been the progression or maturity or whatever you want to call it, because it has shifted. But yes, athletics has been, it's still an integral part of, of my, my life because both my boys are very competitive in what they do. And I love it, but I'm kind of taking the role like my parents. I just want them to try their very best. I want to support them. I want to love them. And I'm not going to put additional pressure on them. The cool thing is, is that you have this knowledge now to share like each generation it used to be like old school, right? It's like, you know, you felt a lot of pressure to do, to do well. And I think the cool thing about how things are shifting is parents and people in general are becoming more loving and caring and they're not putting that pressure on their kids. At least I hope if, you know, the people I talk to seem to be going in that direction. I'm sure there's still that, that little league dad out there. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of them. And <laughs> typically what I've found, Joe, and I am totally generalizing, but my wife and I talk about it. Those that are really pushing their kids hard typically are they're living their sports dreams through their child. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's awful. It's look, if you played any such level, whether it's college or even some pros, you notice they're pretty laid back. You know, they're like, whatever, man, give your best. And one of the things that has been interesting, I will say, being a mindset coach, and I work with athletes professionally, there are times with my son who plays very competitive tennis, and I am his mindset coach. But there are times where I have to remind myself, I'm just dad. I just want to give him a hug and tell him I love him. And that's all that's all that needs to be said. I don't need to talk to him about his mindset. That's been an interesting thing to learn for myself even recently, because Again, yes, I'm a mindset coach. Yes, that's what I do for a living. But in his eyes, I am dad first and foremost, the way it should be. And so sometimes I have to do remind myself to just love them. And it doesn't matter that they didn't perform their best. Even if they didn't give their 100% effort, they, they want to be accepted and loved. And so that has been a, kind of an interesting journey. Yeah, and and I wonder if just your behavior, there's a an unspoken thing that you do that's just helping them, but you're not having to work at it as a mindset coach. It's just them observing you in life and hearing things that you talk about. And they just absorb that because right kids, their minds at this age are super absorbent. So they're probably getting a lot just from being around you and you're not having to be that person forcing ideas and things on them so it's interesting it's just letting them watch you and see what happens so yeah it's one heck of a social experiment isn't it Being yeah trying to give your very best but you know I had my my son's baseball coach say he is an absolute pleasure to coach he's a good human being and that at the end of the day that's what I care about the most if he ends up playing to whatever level I don't really care but if he's a good human in this world that's what we're looking for. Yep. Yep. So can we, while we're on the subject of sports, can we talk a little bit about, and you don't have to name names. You can name names. I don't care. It's up to you, but I want to know the progression of you. Are you out of financial services altogether at this point? Is this your main, you know, being a mindset coach and an author and a speaker, is that your main focus at this point? I am juggling uh, both balls in the air right now. Um, so it's interesting because the mindset coach I've done for so long, I just didn't have a, a, a label on it. And just because I was in financial services, Joe, you probably know a heck of a lot more. You know what? 90% of your listeners know more about financial services than I do <laughs> in 18 years of in the industry. It's just, it was never my focus. So to answer your question directly, I do both yep. but really I'm doing what I've always done and that's build teams and work with them on performance, whether it's in sales or leadership. Okay. Now you mentioned, you hinted at the fact that you've worked with some athletes. 
So can you talk a little bit about that uh, and how you, you've worked with them in the past, the ones you might be working with now, and anything that you can tell us about that? Because it, it's interesting to me. Yeah, I, I can't tell you names specifically just because a lot of yep. it's just confidentiality. But what I can tell you is golfers, uh, I for whatever reason, I've been thrust into that world. Maybe it's because I'm passionate about golf. I truly love golf. I love to watch it. I love to play it. I love the whole idea of you're out there on your own and, and truly it is a test of the mind mm -hmm. as much as any sport out there. Uh, tennis, uh, my wife played in college. My, like I told you, my boy plays competitively. So, so far it's been more on the individual sports um, that people have been referred to me and that's the ones that I've taken on. But you know, it's, which is interesting because yes, uh, I grew up playing both, you know, uh, individual and team sports, but I'm more attracted to team sports than I am individuals. And here's the crazy part. There is not a sport out there that truly is individual. And what I mean by that, yes, when a tennis player goes out there, typically, unless he's playing doubles, he is all by himself mm -hmm. or a golfer is certainly by himself. But the team that surrounds them is why it's so intriguing to me. Uh, they have a, uh, a golf swing coach. They have a dietitian. They have a mental coach, mindset coach. They have a physician, maybe. They have a chiropractor. And they have all of this as a team that is helping put their best effort out onto that field or golf course. And so that's been kind of an interesting thing to realize is, yes, it's an individual sport, but there's a whole team of people behind them. Yeah. It was funny because I was sitting in, in a buddy of mine, I just went skiing in Utah this past weekend, the spring skiing. I had been skiing in 25 plus years. And I went with my oldest, oldest friend uh, from elementary school, uh, junior high, high school. And we skied, started skiing together at seven. And he was going out alone. He's like, come, come on out with me. And I was like, oh, God. And I was literally nervous all three days because I'm, you know, I'm getting up there. And the last thing I want to do is break something. And uh, it's a pretty steep mountain. We went to Snowbird in Utah. I did great. I'm still alive. I have all my limbs. Everything's working. But uh, we were just talking about all of that sort of stuff. And, um, oh, F1, team sports. So he's looking. So he doesn't know anything about F1. And I know very little about F1. But I was like, I was like, Larry, there are like 80 people behind that driver in regards to it's just like all of his own stuff like you talked about his own physical things and all the things and then diet and then all of the the engineers and then all of the pit crew and it's just like this monstrous team of the most expensive sport in the world and he's like do they make any money and i'm like it's all bragging rights i don't think anybody makes any money in that sport but that's an example as a super extreme example i wanted to ask you about how things have changed now with the fact that I grew up uh, as an entrepreneur, my father owned businesses, and then I got into the corporate world a little bit after college, and the whole world was centrally going to these office spaces, right? We were all working in these corporate buildings as teams that you could see, touch, hear, uh, at any moment, jump up from your desk and go and do whatever. So when you're working with companies now, there's a huge shift that people are working remotely. So how has that changed your business and your style of, of coaching these, let's say when we go to the team part of this, you know, and a corporation says, hey, Jim, come in, we want you to work with the sales team. We want them to be more cohesive. How have you been affected by COVID with the remote people? Working? Yeah, I mean, everybody is lacking the same thing and that's connection. I don't care it's just the world needs it. We need it badly. We need to get it back. And so, yes, the world has shifted in terms of people are working from home far more. Good news, you're spending less on overhead, which means you can reinvest that in your business. Uh, your top line, you know, it, it looks even better because now you're not spending maybe so much. But I will tell you this, having that cohesive unit, having that culture, that has not gone away. And so what I think people have really had to get more clear on is how are we going to provide that same environment, that same feel, the same clarity that we had, but working remotely. And that has been an interesting challenge because again, you and I are sitting here on a Zoom, beautiful thing about it, 
we probably weren't doing it this way. I wasn't going to see Joe's face prior to COVID most of right. the time, right? But you're you're in Arizona, I'm in Florida, and we can do it. So that is a form of connection. However, the real piece of people being able to connect, because every time there's a layer in front of us, a computer screen, um, something in the way, we lose that heart-to-heart connection. So I don't have a great answer for that specifically, because you can't really replicate being in the same room. If you and I were sitting together, it would be a different conversation to a degree. We'd be having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or whatever we were doing, celebrating this moment where now, yes, we get to celebrate and yes, it is a form, but it's just different. So I think everybody's adjusting to that. And that's been something I get to facilitate a live event on Thursday and Friday of this week. And I can't wait because it's walking through the door. It's actually getting the, the ability to hug someone and say, you know what? I deeply care about you. That physical connection piece, I don't think that's ever going to stop. So I think what companies are starting to do as the world opens up, as more vaccines happen, as people are more comfortable, they're starting to adjust and say, look, you can work on your own, but we're going to have gatherings. And you know what? We are going to value those gatherings far more than we did before. It's not just another quarterly meeting. It's not just some boardroom meeting. This is a form of connection. This is our bond. This is our tribe. And let's respect that time. So I think there is some beauty in what's happening in that regard. It's taking what we took for granted. And we're starting to say, wow, that was really unique. That was special. And I, I, you know, unfortunately, as human beings, we have to have that perspective. Sometimes we have to have something, you know, happen to us for us to realize that was really cool. When all of us were able to celebrate together, come up with these incredible ideas together. Before it was like, Oh, I got to go to that quarterly meeting again. Well, at least (laughs) they'll have a couple of free drinks at the happy hour. Right. I, I mean, I've heard people say this. Now people are clamoring to get together again. Yeah. And I think it's because, like you said, as humans, we we have to have that physical connection, right? It's important to us. And then the other thing is we give off this energy that it can't be translated through a screen. And, and so like you talking up to going to do these live events, I don't know if you're a keynote speaker or you're giving, you know, it's a meeting or whatever it is, but you're going to walk into the room and there's going to be an energy, right? That you don't get now. And that's what's missing. And I think people are so over it and they so want to be out. It's like, I have an entertainment booking agency here in Phoenix and I book all the entertainment for all the high-end resorts and then all the big corporate events that come. And all the hotels are at 100% capacity. It's just because people want to get out and socialize with other people. So they're either coming into town just to stay or they're doing staycations, but they, they just cannot stand it any longer. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting ride. I mean, this this group that got together at the end of January, we actually were in Scottsdale and six people, including myself, went home and had COVID. Okay. Oh it, wow. Now, here's what's interesting. And thank goodness everybody was healthy, everybody was fine. And this is not to get on that whole I, you know, I respect where everybody feels on this mm-hmm. what do. Um but all six human beings that got it, they're all, they can't wait to get back together again. Now, many people have been vaccinated and the world has shifted that much in literally what, three, almost four months that now we can do this a little bit better. But to your point, Joe, people need this connection, man. People, they, we as human beings, that energy, that is such a real thing. I wish I could know your energy that much better than just over a screen. You can feel it a little bit, mm-hmm but it is tangible. You don't have to say a word. If Joe walked through the door, I could feel, Ooh, that's really good energy. Uh, not so sure, but there's always an energy. And that is something that you cannot replicate over these, you know, you know, doing it virtually. Yeah. So I, uh, I want to talk about the books um, in order of how they release before we do that. I, how has this changed the way you do your work with these individuals, these corporations. I mean, you, you know, we've all had to, like people come to me and say, Hey, I want to do a virtual event. And can I get, and I really didn't jump on board to the virtual stuff because for me, 
entertainment has to be live. I can watch a magic show on TV and say, oh, that's cool. But there's nothing, nothing, nothing like being in, a, in an audience in a live situation. So I just, I used my energy in other ways, you know, started a YouTube channel, podcast, other things that filled my soul. So how have you had to shift your coaching business to deal with those questions that come up? For example, you know, maybe they need to help people stay more positive, not being around people, you know, so they come to you and say, Hey, Jam, you know, we, we want you to um, work with our team. And we think the biggest thing that's lacking is just, it's just like motivation or their mindset because they've been alone for almost a year. Yeah, this one was actually pretty easy, unfortunately, because so much of the content shifted. And maybe it should have always been there. But the truth is what was happening is there was so much negativity. If you woke up and you turned on your TV, boom, it's right there. If you picked up your phone and social media, boom, it was right there. So there was so much negativity being fed into most people's brains. So they weren't actually running their own agenda. It may have been CNBC, Fox, or Facebook, Instagram, whatever platform. And again, this is not, I don't care which one you watch or listen to. That's not the point. The point was people started losing who's running their agenda. And so that really was the focal point of what I worked on is, hey, you used to get up and you had a routine and you were, you know, whether you were meditating or working out or just hopping in the shower, brushing your teeth, it didn't matter, but it wasn't so in your face. Uh, here's death and there's death everywhere that you're listening about this amount of cases followed shortly by death. And so what was happening is so many people whether they realize or not, their lens became extremely negative. And so a big part of what I did is, hey, don't forget your routine. Let's make sure you run your agenda first. That doesn't mean bury your head in the sand. Absolutely not. Look, be informed. You need to be. You need to know what's going on in the world. I'm cool with that. However, let's not make it the first thing that you do in the morning. Let's not make it that you just haphazardly are just scrolling on your phone or watching TV for hours on end. Because what was coming out is really cynical human beings seeing the world in such a negative way. And there was so much going on in the last year, not just COVID, other things that were creating some of this tension. And so a lot of my coaching just went to that. Who's running your agenda? And I probably should have been asking this question earlier than that, but it became so prevalent and so in my face. I was like, who's running your agenda? And that's been the majority of my coaching with individual clients with, with, uh, you know, teams with companies who's running your agenda and is it serving you? Yeah. And it's like so many people that are in the same arena that you and I are in with being an entrepreneur and, you know, trying to help people just guide them on the knowledge that we've gained over our years and things that we've read and just trying to be helpful that we've heard so many times when the morning you win the day. Right. So it's that, I don't know if people understand how important that is. And, and uh, you can see so many people just will turn on the news while they're making their coffee. And, and it just, it's just like this downward spiral. And the funny thing is, is I used to live in New Jersey, commuted on the bus through the Lincoln tunnel. Cause I had an office on 38th street and Broadway. And that's when I owned my own company and all the people on the bus would get in, settle down and then open up their newspaper and just sit there. And so I get it. Like a lot of these people were financial people down on Wall Street. So they, they had to, you know, get caught up with the day. But I used to get to the office and feel so depressed. I felt like, OK, I have to do this, too. Like all these smart business people. And I'd have to, you know, I'd get to the office and go, God, that was the most depressing hour I just spent. And, and from that day forward, I never do. I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspaper. I do like I, I do me. I do what I can do in the world. And uh, I don't know. I, yeah, you have to stay somewhat informed, I guess. But I stay away from it like the plague, man. Just well, as long as you're monitoring it, as long as you're making sure it's not running your agenda. And you can do that with filters. One of the beautiful things about these devices, you can filter pretty much everything to just get you know, the important news of the day and not have to scroll through everything. So there are ways to set it up. But to your point, win the morning, win the day. It's so true. That's never been more true than it is today. Yeah, absolutely. As a leader, in order for you to lead anyone else, you have to lead yourself first. 
and take care of yourself. It is probably the biggest thing. And I'm going to generalize, especially with my female clients. I am like, you are not being selfish by taking care of yourself. You're being selfish. If you don't, you're being selfless by working out, taking care of your mind, your body and your soul every day, because then you can take care of your kids the way you want to show up as the mom, the the sister, the, you know, all the hats that that they're wearing. I'm like, you have to take care of yourself first in order to serve all these people. Yeah. And it's so funny because I think the same thing I grew up with a feeling that wanting money, right, was this greed thing and and wanting to to maybe become wealthy. And it's it's the same thing with money as it is with health. It's like in order to take care of you, you have to make sure that you you make the money you need to take care of you and then your immediate family and then down on from there and then do whatever you can. So it's the same thing with health. Those two things are, and I always put health first. I, I don't, it, for me, it's always been the main thing. I, I thank my lucky stars every day that I don't deal with any health issues or take any medication, but I worked at it. You know, I go to the gym pretty much every day and it's the only way for me to survive. It actually mentally, my mind shifts. If I don't, on a day that I don't go, it's not only do I have this mental thing happening where I just was like, God, you know, but I also think there's a little bit of guilt I put back on myself going, all you had to do is just plan it and do it. No one's running your own, your life except for you. I don't, you know, you, you have this feeling like someone's still telling you where you need to be, or you feel guilty about not doing something. And it's like you said, you have to plan this stuff out. Um, so can you tell me what your modern routine looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I wake up, the first thing I do is I say my daily affirmation. I say it in the evenings with my boys and I say it every morning. Uh, then I set my intention for the day. What do I wanna do today? I wanna bring great energy. I wanna be super productive. Whatever my intention is for that moment. Then I will typically get into breath work, uh, about five to 10 minutes, depends on how long the exercise takes. Then I'm into meditation. Then I'm doing my brain games. Then let me see here. Sorry, I usually have it all. Then I'm doing my exercise. At some point, I'm reading my book, journaling, and then I'm off into the day. Now, what's been interesting uh, with COVID is it hasn't necessarily been as structured as it used to be. I used to wake up super early, get it all out of the way, then take the kids to school. Now it's just been kind of haphazard in terms of I get them all done, but I might get two of them done, then I'm dealing with kids, then I'm doing that, then I'm dealing with work. So it's just been a little different, um, which has been interesting because I love my routine. But those are the basic things. I, I tell everybody to simplify it. If you take care of your mind, your body, and your soul, it's the three things you have to do. Because you said something about, about health. Health is wealth. I don't mm -hmm. care how much money you have. If you don't have your health, you have nothing. And so you do need to plan that. And so those would be the three things I'd tell people, look, take care of your mind. What are you doing for your mind? Are you reading, doing the brain games? What are you doing for your health? Most people have that part down. I'm going to go work out, lift, uh, run, whatever you do. It's, uh, it, it's up to you. And then ultimately, what do you do for your soul? For me, it's meditation. For some people, it's reading the Bible. For some people, it's taking a nature walk. Some people, it's a hike. I don't care but take care of those three things, fulfill those buckets, and then go about your day. Yeah, and you know what I think often happens is people feel they something happens maybe in the morning that, that sets the morning off in the wrong way. And whether it's like you go out to your car and you, one of your tires is flat. And what they do is then they throw the baby out with the bathwater and they don't do anything. They don't, so if you have those three buckets, you're supposed to take care of, you know, your, your health or meditation, your mind or whatever, and you don't, you can't get to one thing, they throw everything out. And, and so I've learned, you know, on days where I'm really tight on time, okay, I'm still going to go to the gym and I'm just going to jump on the treadmill. Normally it's cardio abs. I mean, it's, it's weightlifting, you know, abs, cardio. If I, but I, I don't sit there and go, okay, I don't have time to do all three. So I'm not going to go do any. I go and I jump on on a stair stepper and I still get the work done. So I think it's important to make set yourself up for success that you can get at least something done. Don't make it so hard that if you don't do all of it, 
you feel guilty, you, you know, it just ruins your day. And I think that's important too. Such a great point, Joe, because look, I grew up an athlete. Like you said, I played basketball in college. I was working out two hours a day in college, literally just lifting and playing ball. And I mean, it's at least two hours every single day. Well, that's not how my world works today. So should I just do nothing? No, of course not. I changed my goals completely. I want to sweat once a day. That's literally my, my workout goals this year, sweat once a day. Sometimes that means lifting. Sometimes it means lifting and cardio. Sometimes it means playing pickleball. That's actually the one I really prefer to do. But there's, <laughs> it, it doesn't look the same as it did when I was 18, 28, or 38. It changes. But as long as you're taking care of that body, one way or the other. And to your point, if it's not perfect, so what? Do something. Yep, yep I agree. Okay. Keep promising about the book, but I still have one more question to ask you. And it's probably going to tie into the book and it's probably going to tie even better into the, the new book. But I want to ask you about journaling. I want to know, you know, I, I heard you on your podcast talk about, I think you said, or your wife said, it's the cheapest form of therapy. It is. And it doesn't talk back to you and it doesn't judge you. Right. Um, but I, I have never journaled. And so many successful people that I either know or talk to or had have on my I've had on the podcast, like journaling such a big thing. And I'm like, well, why aren't you doing it? And like, what is it going to tell? How many times you're going to hear it from somebody and not do it? So I would like to hear your perspective on it. Well, you gave my my opinion is it is the cheapest form of therapy available to us all. Whatever it costs for a pen, couple cents, and paper, let's say a dollar. So. Um, but why is it beautiful is we have around 50,000 thoughts go through our head a day. Some of those are crazy. They are nuts. Some are very negative. Some are very positive. The point is, is they're swirling around. And the reason I think journaling is so important, I'll give you, I'll give you a story. So let's go win specific to the company. Back when I was 21 or 20, I don't know the exact time frame. I had written about Let's Go Win and had three circles very similar to what my logo looks today. Now, I lost that journal. It got put in my memento box. I didn't think anything about it. And I was cleaning out the garage because we recently moved to Florida. And I'm looking in and there's this journal. I'm flipping through it. Holy cow, there's Let's Go Win. It's sitting right there. I had marinated on this idea for over 20 years. Now, the reason this is important, had I gone back through that journal, maybe I get to let's go in that much earlier. Maybe, maybe I don't. Regardless, it was a thought that I planted now, or a thought that was planted in my head that I then put onto paper. When you do that, there's something that happens. It allows you to get clarity. It allows you focus. It allows you to just have a brain dump. And so I don't know why people resist it because to me, I love writing probably as much as, gosh, writing or reading. I'm not sure which one I love more, but they just fill my soul. And so I just like to write. I, I enjoyed the blogging part of it. I enjoy writing the books because it allows me to put all this stuff onto paper. And some of it's crazy. But guess what? The paper doesn't say, JM, that's crazy. It just doesn't say anything. It's just literally captured what I've written. So anyway, if you haven't done it, it doesn't. There's no judgment. Just try it and see how you feel. That's what I always tell all my clients. I'm like, just try it and then let me know how you feel. I've never had a client come back and say, that was terrible. Every time they're like, wow, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, I, you know what? I started, I just was going to write like half a page and I wrote 10 pages. And that's not uncommon because you have a lot going on up there. And it's nice to get that stuff out. And again, no judgment. Maybe you don't even look at it again but at least put it out there. So do you journal both in the morning and in the evening or only in the evening? Uh, that's a good question. The specific journaling that, that we're talking about just in the evening, but I write so much now for my, my occupation that I, I journal a lot in the mornings as well. So I don't know. I, my best writing times are about 4 a.m., um, I don't know why, just as quiet as can be. My brain, actually, I do know 11 a.m. and 4 a.m. are the two times they say we're the most creative. Not sure why that is, but I guess it's quiet. 
I guess our brains have officially, you know, opened up to that, to that space. But to answer your question directly, typically I'm journaling in the evening times, unless I'm writing for work. So without giving anything personal, can you explain what it would look like if you sat down and journal tonight? Like what, what would somebody write? Like if I sat down, you sat down, uh, how do you even start? How do you even know that you're, you're journaling and not complaining or you're not starting a small book or you're whatever? I don't know. Like what, what do you, what do you, oh, I, I loved my lunch today. I don't know. What do you write? Why not? That sounds great. Uh, so there's two main staples I will tell you. I, I journal on two things frequently. I believe we are in a complete charge and no one can affect these two things, our activity and our attitude. Now I do write about that. It's in Champions Daily Playbook. That's why I ask people to do that because I like to journal on how was my attitude today? Was it awesome? Did I show up and was I really someone bringing positivity to the world or did I suck today? And by the way, it happens both ways. Like I could have been better today. And I just, I'd write it down. Cause what I'm really looking for is my patterns, my habits, and what's really happening. Because if let's say seven days in a row, I had really crappy attitude. What's really going on. There's more to the story than just, I had a flat tire. My girlfriend broke up with me. My dog ran away, you know, all the country song <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> something that was going on. And I don't like that. Nobody wants to show up and be miserable. People want to be happy. So to answer your question, I would write about whatever. But if you're looking for a guide, write about the two things you're in complete control of. How is my attitude? How is my activity? Because for my job, did I do a great job for my kids? Was I an active parent? Or was I a slug on the couch watching, you know, looking at my phone? And by the way, we all do some of that at some point. There's no judgment. It's just talking to yourself to say, you know what? I showed up great today. Pat on the back. Great job, man. I didn't show up so good today. What can I do differently tomorrow? And it'll show you and really create some answers that can help you show up as the best version of yourself. How long have you been doing it? Oh man. I started after high school for some reason. I don't know why in college I studied abroad so I remember I journaled a lot when I was in the Netherlands and on trains, I would read and journal, read and journal. Um, and then I did it all through my twenties and thirties. I just, I've always written things down. Wow. I think mainly though is because I, I'm seeking answers just like anybody. I want to show up and, and sometimes you don't have somebody that's, you can't talk to everyone about, things without having some form of judgment. So instead, why don't you go to that, that piece of paper? Just get it out there. I remember uh, being really frustrated with a business partner. Had I said the vile things that came through my mind <laughs> before I wrote it down and actually was smart about it, that would have probably cost a, a, a relationship, cost a, a business partnership. Right. Instead, I wrote it down and then I was like, whoa, that is crazy. But it was in my mind. My mind had created something that wasn't even true. So anyway, to answer your question, I've been doing it since probably 18 or 19. That's great. So see, you're lucky because that's, that's uh, you know, you can see the value of it now and to be able to have started that long ago. So I'm jealous, but I'm, I'm going to take your, I'm going to heed your words of advice and I'm going to do it. It might look really dumb at first, but I'll figure it out over time. And like you said, you hit it on the head. It was the perfect answer. Literally, you can't talk to anyone without some small amount of judgment. So to be able to just have you and that piece of paper, um, it has to be super helpful. So I'm, I'm definitely going to give it a try. I'm Perfect. glad to hear how it goes, Joe. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's go win. That was your first book. When did that come out? That came out, oh, that's a good question. I should know that. Uh, two years ago, I, I, I think. Okay. I, really I thought that's what it was too, but I, I am fearful of always assuming what I read because I, I looked at so many pieces of data and I'm like, I don't want to say that I'd rather have you make the mistake than me. <laughs> I think I did, but I think it was in the last two years. You know, it's almost like we lost a year with COVID. So it's, I know. It, was that five years ago or is that <laughs> last week? I, so I believe it's two years ago that that came out. Okay. So give us the overview of 
the, you started to, you hinted at it early in this conversation about it was you putting down your experiences and your knowledge and things that you thought were, you know, what you've read, things you've read, things you've studied, just to share. Like, you know, we're, we're hoping that everyone just shares what they can with the world to make it a better place. So give us an idea what that the initial idea behind that was. Yeah, the idea was for my two boys. I wanted them to not skin their knees as much as their dad did growing up. And so the lessons, I also wanted the documented lessons that I learned from my parents and my grandparents that so often get lost where they're no longer here. So these are, I had the opportunity to ask the questions uh, and my mentors and authors. And so if, imagine if you read, I don't know, 17 to 30 books a year and you can take some of that knowledge and hopefully make it really tangible. Because for me to ask my kids to read that many books per year, that, that's probably impractical. But there's some really good nuggets that you can pull from some of these authors. And so the whole idea was to take all of that and put it into a, a very usable form. So where you could fly from LA to New York, and by the time you land, you finish the book. I didn't want it to be overwhelming. I wanted it to be an easy read with tangible advice in each chapter. And so I broke it down that way. I just said, look, what are the 12 most important areas that I think people can really effectuate change? And that's how I started. And, and so it was the best six months of journaling I've ever done in my life was that process. And that was completely separate. That was you creating the, the, the outline of, well, not the outline, but the, the, the book coming to life, you, that was a separate journaling process that you did to create the book. hundred percent. And I yeah. had a, a, somebody I worked with. And so when I would say an idea and talk about it, then we would talk back and forth and she would interview me and it just became such a beautiful piece. I'm not saying it's the, the greatest thing written ever. I'm not saying that, but the way it reads, I want them to hear my voice and I hope that it comes through that way. But it's, it's not a judgment or anything. It's rather, here's what I've found. And I want my kids to know like, hey, if dad got hit by a bus tomorrow, here's something that he can leave behind that hopefully, you know, helps them again, not not make as many errors. Because just like any parent, I, I want my kids to, to have the best opportunity. And so that was the whole idea. And I also think that it's the conduit it's who's delivering the message sometimes that actually makes a difference to the person on the other end. So you could have written the same line in your book that was written in five previous books. And then those people actually read all of those five books, but the way in the context of the way you expressed it in your book with the surrounding text around it, all of a sudden it's an aha moment for someone. So I think it's, it's, that's why it's so important to share because it might not make sense coming from the previous five people that they read it from, but somehow you've set them up for success in your book where all of a sudden they get to that one line that they know they've seen, they've heard it, they've read it five other times, never made sense. Ah, now it makes sense. And so I think that's what's really cool about this sort of thing is that, yeah, we're, we, you know, there's a lot of things that came before us. We're not inventing the wheel every day, but we are taking our experiences and our knowledge, putting them into a form that could actually help someone that they never got that help from earlier because it didn't make any sense to them. Yeah, and that's beautifully said because there's a saying, when, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so that could be the case, right? Maybe my, I don't know that my 11 year old has actually finished the entire book. <laughs> <laughs> At some point he will, and that'll be cool. And hopefully he'll, he will hear it. And maybe he'll read it 20 years down the line and maybe he'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. OK. So then all of a sudden you just wrote um, the Champions Daily Playbook. So I don't I haven't had the honor to to read these books yet. Um, but and I'm going to hear this is when I when I say I don't want to make assumptions about things. But but the, just by the title and where it's coming from, from the first book, it almost seems like it's more of an actionable book from what you originally did. So now it's, it's, you're given the overview and let's go win. And you're giving all of the, the, you know, the different steps, but now it's kind of like you're holding people's feet to the fire in the second book and saying, if you follow through, here's all the things you need to do to really make all of this stuff happen. 
Yeah. So I, I read a, a study that said less than 40% of the people you ever hand a book to will read past chapter one. And that was a pretty sobering statistic. <laughs> so I thought, all right, why don't we create something that's one chapter long and the rest is literally a playbook. And I called it a playbook and not a workbook because I didn't want it to feel like work. Mm -hmm. For those of you that are feeling just like Joe, where you're like, how do I journal? I, I explain it, make it really easy in the playbook. It's like 10 bucks on Amazon. You know what? You've never journaled before. Here you go. This is literally the, the how to, or, you know, and, and it's not a journal necessarily, but it is, it, it, it allows you that freedom to just say, okay, this, this helps. I can do this. And it takes no more than like maybe five minutes in the morning. Usually it's far less than that. And maybe five minutes at night. But again, if you go longer, cool. And so the whole idea is to literally something that you can do every single day to set yourself up to win, because I wish I had started doing this stuff earlier. I mean, I wish I had known this when I was my son's age, when I was 14 and 11, I wish I was doing these things, but I didn't know about all that. So my hope is that people can take it and apply it and say, wow, that was really helpful. Thank you. And, and when I get those, Joe, oh man, it just makes you feel fantastic because you're able to help someone get that much further in life. And what a, what a unique feeling and, and so fulfilling because it's great if we do something cool ourselves, but how great of a gift if you can have somebody else say, you know what, I did that and it really worked. And you're like, that's amazing. I'm so glad. Thank you. Yep. So give us, can you give us uh, an, an overview of, of the latest book and what people will find in it? Other, you mentioned journaling. I would think there's a, you know, a bunch of things in there that are going to be super helpful. So can you give us an idea? Sure. So I start the book off very simply with you know, the, the basic setting goals because most people don't even write their, those down. Now you are 60% more likely to achieve a new year's resolution a year later by simply writing it down. You're another 20% more likely to achieve it if you actually look at it every single day. So I said, well, I know the stats, let's go ahead and put that in there. Then I put in uh, for daily affirmations. Most people have never heard of a daily affirmation because they weren't taught uh, to do that. And so my kids, since ev every day of their lives, they've said or heard the same thing. Um, and that is, are you a leader? Yes. How come? I'm confident, strong, intelligent, athletic, good looking, dynamic, popular, talented, and independent boy with a growth mindset. They have said that since they were 10 months old. Now, if I could go back in hindsight, I would have said, Jay, I'm make it, I'm confident, strong, and intelligent, and leave it at that. But I didn't. And I created this long thing, but they love it. They won't go to bed without saying it to me. Um, and they, you know, he's 15. Gosh, he just turned 15. That's crazy. But anyway, they do that every single night. So that's the second thing is just doing a daily affirmation because the world's going to tell you you're not confident. You're not strong. You're not intelligent. You're not these things. I want you to rewire your brain to say, yes, I am. Who gives a care what anybody else thinks? Yes, you are. And you are, whether you believe you are, or you're not, you're right. So that's the second yep. thing right? Is doing that, uh, setting that daily affirmation. And then it's just a check-in. Did you take care of the mind, the body, and the soul? Yes. Okay. Yes. No, whatever the answer is. Then you have, uh, how's your ad attitude? How was your activity? You rank it. Then you have a journaling section and that's pretty much the gist of it, but it's just laid out. And so for 90 days, if you can do this, because it takes uh, the newest study says 66 days to create a habit. Well, if that's true, then let's let's say we miss a couple of days, we screw up, we, we forgot to, let's try for those 90 days. And let's just see what happens. What if we created for 90 days, we followed this plan? How does my life look differently? Do I feel better? Am I showing up better? Is my business improved? Has my health improved? All these things should take place by just simply following that exercise. So that was my hope. I've had some amazing people say, thank you. God, I'd never journaled before. That was amazing. I'd never thought to do this. And, and that's what I'm hopeful for. That's great. So one last question, because I want to respect your time. And I know we're close. Um, we have a choice every day when we wake up, right? And the choice is that you can 
say to yourself and say out loud and whatever, say to the world that I am thankful, I'm grateful, I'm happy, I'm healthy, you know, even if you're not healthy, those words can almost change how you are. And, and so why is it, and, and I, listen, I'm just as guilty or more than anybody on this earth that for the longest time was like, woe is me. Like I, I bust my ass and I'm not getting the things that I expect to get and things don't go my way. And, and I always, I was always looking for the, you know, I know I'm going to get there and there's going to be a long line at the store or I'm right. Or I'm going to get to this place that I can't find a parking spot or that was me. And it's only shifted recently and it's a completely different world. And, and it's, it's like, why do we always choose the worst thing? And like, we have literally have an equal down the middle. You can choose left, which is crap, or you can choose right, which is great. And we just seem to, to always choose. And I'm not, again, I'm not generalizing like the world. I'm just saying that when I see it now from being this other person that I've created over the past couple of months, I go, we literally can wake up and just choose to have the most amazing, happy day. And we, we don't do that. And I, I, it's just mind boggling. Yeah. I don't know the answer why just, you're right. That's many people do. Uh, there's an exercise everyone can do. Uh, take a piece of paper and draw a line right down the middle on one side, write victim, and then write out all the attributes associated with it. On the other side, write responsible, write all the attributes that go along with it. Now, I, I, we don't have time to do that today, but when you do this, you're gonna find a couple of things. The reason people choose to be a victim is because you get empathy, you get sympathy. However, what else goes along with that is some really negative stuff. When you choose to be responsible, it's powerful, it's strong, it's in control. And there's a couple negative, like you could be overwhelmed, you could be this, but the majority is it's very positive on one side and it's very negative on the other. The reason I have people do this exercise is for what you said, and you said a beautiful word, I hope people heard it, you choose, you get to choose to show up and have an incredible day, you get to choose to have, you know, the most beautiful sunrise, you get to choose that no one else gets to choose that. The moment you figure that out, Joe, now you're free. Mm -hmm. because it is your choice. No one can make you feel any other way. Only you get to choose that. I don't know how long or why or what it's going to take for people to understand that, but it is your choice. And when you do that, you have so much power and you start to create, most people here manifest destination. You don't have to believe in it. I've witnessed it. You can <laughs> create it. And it is your choice. So I don't know, brother, I'm happy for you. That's amazing because you're right. You get to choose. You can have an amazing, and I'm sure you had an incredible life before on top of that, but how much more beautiful is it now? It's, it's insane. And like you said, you know, I, I, I thank the universe. I literally do. And it's like it, people might around me that know me now and have to hang with me might get tired of me saying, yeah, the universe delivered again, but it did. And that's what I'm going to say. And it's just what it is. So sorry. <laughs> just what it is. The word energy earlier, brother. And that's, I don't, that is not uh, where people look, the universe is full of energy. And so what you put out, it will, it will reciprocate. If you're putting out nothing but negative, I promise you, yeah. negative is going to come back. Yeah. You're attracting that you put out positive, you're going to recognize the positive. There's a crazy study in, in the, the UK, where they had people walk down the street. Now, Prior to that, they asked, there was five and five. Five people said they were lucky. Five people said they were not. Four out of the five that said they were lucky saw the $20, it was 20 pound, not a mm -hmm. dollar, 20 pound note on the sidewalk. Four out of the five that said they were lucky. One missed it. All five human beings that said they were unlucky did not see the 20 pound note on the cement. And they did this study again and again, and again, and kept coming back with the same statistics. So you don't have to believe it, but it is true. It is what's happening. And you are creating that. So congrats, Joe. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm right with you. I believe it. So JM, thank you so much, man. Uh, did we miss anything? So the book, both books I know are on Amazon. Um, is, is there any particular uh, way you would like people to connect with you? 
Sure. Uh, they can go to letsgowin.com. I put out a blog that, you know, that's some of my journaling. Those are thoughts that you get, you get to be a part of. Um, there's a free work-life balance on there that I take every month. So that's on the website, letsgowin.com. And then let's go win 365, brother. Any social media outlet, let's go win 365. I'd love for people to follow and check it out. And I'd love to hear from them. And you have your podcast as well, right? I do. Let's go win is the podcast. It's, it's so much fun, you guys. I think uh, the, 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 the guests make the show. I love to hear their amazing stories, just like Joe didn't. I think you did an incredible job. You listen well. You ask really awesome questions. I hope to do the same, but uh, every time we're going to give it our all and we're going to have a great time. That's awesome. JM, it was an honor. Uh, I love meeting people like you. And uh, I, I'm going to make this public promise to you that I'm going to start journaling because I bet you there's a, yet another step of magic there that I've been missing all this time. So I'm going to add it to my already awesome life to step it up another notch and, uh, and get all that stuff out of my head. I love it, brother. Can't wait to hear about it. Thank you. All right, so man. Much for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I look forward to doing more with you down the road. You too, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I know you have many options to listen to various podcasts and I'm honored that you chose to listen to mine. I would love it if you would rate my podcast five stars and write a nice review. It really helps to bring up the rankings of the podcast to other listeners. Once again, Thank you so much for listening to The Joe Costello Show. I appreciate you very much.